0: So this morning, we're continuing our series called The End Commandments. Jesus commanded his followers to do many things, but he also commanded his followers to not do certain things. And last week, Pastor Larry shared a great sermon that we are to fear not. And this morning, we're going to be continuing that series. So as we start, I want to invite you to join me in imagining something really quick. And I want you to trust me. I'm not going to do anything weird. I promise. I promise. But imagine something with me. So would you just close your eyes with me for just a second? Just close your eyes. Imagine with me that you're looking at your bank statements for the past three months. All of your transactions are there. Possibly your paychecks, your giving, your spending, all the categories that you've been wise with your money, and the categories you wish you'd been better with. Now imagine that I took them and I have access to them now. Now imagine that I put those bank statements on the slide behind me for everyone to see. Now imagine if we spent the next hour discussing how your financial transactions reflect what you treasure most in life. Open your eyes. How do you feel? Anybody else like me would be a little bit afraid of that? right? I can imagine that for me, I'm trying to learn what it's like to steward my resources that I've been given by God, but if every single one of my purchases over the last three months were put on the screen behind me, and we were all talking about it for the next hour, I would be a little afraid. For some of us, the bank statement example might not connect very well. You can imagine if I had your every thought for the past week for everyone to see. Many of us would be ashamed, We'd be terrified, and it would be a day that we would never forget for a long time. So, this morning, we're going to be learning the deepest secret of a woman that was publicly shared for all to hear without her permission, and how Jesus reacted when he was confronted with her worst sin. And as we read her story this morning, I want to invite you to enter into the story through the eyes of this woman. What is she thinking? What is she feeling? What does she think is about to happen? And I want us to invite us to hold on to the feelings of what it would feel like if our bank statements or if our thoughts over the last week were on the screen for the entire church to see and talk about. But before we read our key text this morning, I'm going to invite us to pray really quick one more time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would have a word for us this morning. We know that your scripture is God-breathed, And God, I ask that in all that I say, if it's from you, that we would remember it and it would be written on our hearts. And if it's from me, that it would fall to the ground. Lord, if you have a word for us, would you speak it this morning? Amen. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to join with me in John chapter 8. And if not, we're going to have it on the screen behind me. But I want to encourage you this morning, if you've grown up in the church, this might be a story that you've heard before. And I wanna encourage you, listen to it again with new ears, with fresh eyes, because I believe that God has something new to speak to us this morning. So our text begins with an incomplete sentence, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And it's interesting how Bible translators continued this verse from the story before it in John chapter seven. And in that chapter, Jesus was at an important Jewish festival, the Festival of Booths. And it says that he interacted with the chief priests and the officials of the temple, and that it was the last day of the festival. And according to Leviticus 23, this very same seven-day festival would be followed by a Sabbath day of rest. And it's important for us to note, because this is the context of our story. This is where it's taking place. So listen to this. Jesus is in the temple on the Sabbath day of rest. And it's a commandment to not work, which came with a, with a set of written laws and oral interpretations of that law's. So, again, to our text, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. So, Jesus is now in the temple. It's early in the morning on a Sabbath. He has this crowd forming, and he's teaching them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. So a group of religious leaders violently bring a woman into the temple in full view of everyone, and they begin to question Jesus. And I read this word violently for a few reasons. First, It isn't recorded, but it's likely that this act of adultery was committed the night before, not that morning. Many Bible scholars believe that she was actually unlawfully held overnight just so that these religious folks could use her to test Jesus. And second, it's violent because adultery, if we're honest, is a two-person sin. The law of Moses in Leviticus 20.10 clearly commanded the stoning of both the man and the woman involved in the act. And furthermore, scholars believe that at this time, that punishment was rarely enacted. So can we pause for a second? Remember, our invitation is to think through this story through the eyes of this woman. She and her partner commit a shameful sin. The man is left to go off free, and she is held overnight. And as she sits in her false imprisonment, she knows what the punishment might be. She's looking at a potential death sentence. She must have been terrified. And lastly, it's violent because it says that they made her stand before all of them. And I can just see this woman being forced by these men to stand up in this religious house of worship just so that they could accuse her and try and trap Jesus. This is not a pretty picture at all. So imagine with me you are in this woman's shoes. You've just been caught committing an act that you never thought in a million years that you'd ever do. And even worse, some guys catch you in the act and want you killed for it. And even worse, they bring you into a house of worship as a plan, they devise a plan to bring you before Jesus to try and pin you publicly and then stone you publicly. Like an object of their possession for the use of their personal gain, these men use this woman not because they're trying to be righteous, No, they use her so that they can bring a charge against Jesus. You see, if Jesus appears lax toward the law, he will be condemned for not upholding the law. But if he holds a strict line on the law, Jesus has allowed for these men to prevail in their ungodly treatment of this woman, and he'll also be subject to the Romans, who were the political oppressors of that day and wouldn't have allowed for such a stoning. So the leaders of Israel, God's people, are putting God and the person of his son to the test. And either answer will lead to Jesus' demise. So what does Jesus do? Here is this woman, standing before her entire religious community, with the worst of her sins, being told for all to hear, all to see If what Jesus will approve of her death. Friends, in a few short verses, we find one of the most tense times in all of scripture. What will the Son of God do? This woman is afraid, she's humiliated, and she's confronted with the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. What will the Son of God do? So keen observers of John's gospel so far will remember five chapters earlier in John 3, 17. It says this, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus answers this option A, option B question with option three. Jesus bends down and he writes with his finger in the ground. Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, are you crazy? Can't you see the religious leaders want to see if they can stone this woman? And here's the Son of God writing with his finger in the dirt. And the imagery of this is profound. First, we find in Jewish tradition that while it was unlawful for someone to write down even two letters on the Sabbath, it was permissible if it was written in the dust. And second, Jesus is invoking imagery similar to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, where the prophet Jeremiah says this, "'Lord, you are the hope of Israel. "'All who forsake you will be put to shame, those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So by writing in the dust, Jesus is showing them that he not only has a perfect grasp on the law and the oral interpretations of the law, but by invoking Jeremiah 17, Jesus is actually associating his opponents with those whom God condemns. These religious leaders want to condemn this woman to death, but Jesus implies that they themselves are condemned for their actions. This woman committed adultery, but they are rejecting God himself. Moving on in our text. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. Friends, when Jesus was confronted with the sin of this woman, his response to his his accusers is to cause them to take account of their own sin. One by one, beginning with the oldest and wisest, these violent accusers walk away, contemplating their own sin. With a few words, God took the shame and humiliation that was placed upon this woman and gave it instead to her accusers. Imagine being this woman. One by one, your accusers are walking away. One by one, your chances of living through this day are going up. And I don't know if she realized it, but she was left standing alone with the one man on earth with no sin, the one man on earth who could have thrown the first stone. And so the text says this, Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Wow. Standing alone with a person of God in human form she finds no condemnation. This is real grace. This is real mercy. The re- this is the reason why we need not be ashamed or keep hidden the sin in our lives. We can freely confess our sins because our God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn you, but to save you. We're told to sin no more by the same God that offers us freedom and not condemnation. And I, like uh, Pastor Carlos said, have the privilege and the opportunity to work on our local college campuses as a missionary. And that means that I get to witness with my own two eyes the transformations of students who come before this very same Jesus, who get to be healed by this very same Jesus. And what I love about college students, I love many things about college students, but one of the things that many of them have is courage. They tend to tell you like it is. And there was a student last semester named Noelle. She was a student leader in our movement. She was leading a Bible study at Cal State Fullerton in her senior year. And she had a moment where she, too, was confronted with the real grace and the real mercy of Jesus in the face of her sin. And we're in for a treat this morning because she's actually here to tell you her story. And let me tell you, she's going to get real with us this morning So would you warmly welcome her up as she comes up?
1: Thank you, Ben, uh, for giving me this opportunity to speak today. Um, In university, we have a tradition uh, when somebody gives their testimony. Um, This is so that we keep our hearts and minds, focused on how God has worked in our life, and give him all the credit. The tradition goes like this. I say, my name is Noel and I want to give glory to God. And you respond with, Amen. Can we retry that for a minute? So my name is Noel and I want to give glory to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I'll give a little background on my life that might help to paint the picture a little. I grew up in a church very similar to this one, but when I started high school, I started to walk away from God. I was always the Christian girl and I wanted to start doing things my own way. By age 22, I was regularly getting drunk and was sleeping with my boyfriend of six years. I learned how to not listen to conviction from the Holy Spirit anymore. Fortunately, uh, God has always been with me. Little did I know, my mom was a prayer warrior for my life the entire time. Uh, I started attending a music major Bible study through university, and in January of 2014, I rededicated my life to the Lord. Throughout the next two years, uh, I started to change things in my life. I pruned friends, things, and people out of my life that were leading me farther from God. I started making better decisions and learned what it looked like to live a Christian life. I wasn't perfect, and it didn't happen immediately, but I was moving forward. Fast forward to January 2016. I was now a Bible study leader, a worship leader, a mentor to others, and my best friends knew how I had changed my life around, which I had, for the most part. Uh, My problem was that I was really good at hiding my sin because I had done it for 11 years. I truly believe that I had a heart transformation when I rededicated, but the cycle of sin that I was stuck in felt unbreakable. No matter how well I was doing or how long it had been since I did it, Um, I still felt that shackle around my ankle anchoring me to my past sin and leading me through that cycle again, Um, the cycle of sexual sin. I was exposed to sexual acts at the age of 13, not by anyone else's doing but my own. I began doing things with guys because I thought it might make them like me more. As I got older, I began finding my identity in guys and male relationships. It was the one constant in my life. Whether I was in a relationship or not, I knew that I could at least find what I thought was love, but was really just temporary satisfaction. At the end of January, I went to a conference for Christian fraternity and sorority students. On the last night, we were asked what was holding us back from completely giving over our lives to God. I knew my answer, but it was the same thing I had felt and heard all the time. But God moved me that night. He moved me to finally make that decision to completely surrender my life to Him, to give up that cycle of sexual sin. Benetters asked me earlier that day if we could have a conversation after that night session. I walked into the meeting, and all he asked was, how is this conference going for you? I knew I had to say something. I wasn't going to tell him everything, maybe just the Cliff Notes version, and then maybe tell my accountability partner later, who I also wasn't being very honest with. But that's not what God had wanted. As I began to tell Ben about what we had uh, been learning and how they were asking what was holding us back, I simply said that it was something I had struggled with for years and I was finally ready to move on. Ben pressed further in a loving way and shared with me James 5.16, which says, "'Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective.'" At the time, I wasn't sure exactly what that passage meant, but what I heard from God was simply confess. I knew it was a safe space and that Ben was not only my mentor and leader, but a close friend who was not there to hear some juicy gossip or anything other than the truth so that I may have healing over my life. I began to cry, then weep, then sob, and I thought my heart would stop and I couldn't breathe. But I knew that God was with me and that the time was now, It was time I stopped hiding my sin and brought light into the dark parts of my life. I began to tell him that since I rededicated, I had never stopped being sexually active, even up to that weekend. I explained my backstory and how I felt like my life was just meant to be this way, that I would never be clean enough, and that I could never be made whole. These were the lies that kept me chained to my sin all these years. What I thought would be a response of disappointment from Ben was actually a response of acceptance, love, and compassion. He talked me through a few things to process, and then led me into prayer. The minute we started praying, I felt God's peace come over me, and I could breathe. It was like that shackle had finally been unlocked, and the cycle had been broken. I usually hear God's voice through song or images, but heard loud and clear his voice saying, you are free. I again began to sob, but they were cleansing tears and tears of joy that I felt like I could finally move forward with my life. It didn't stop there. After processing a little longer, Ben again brought up that verse from James about confessing to one another to bring healing. He asked me if I'd be willing to tell our leadership team They are some of my closest friends, and I knew they would still love me, but I felt so ashamed for keeping this a secret for so long. While I wasn't sure of how they would react or what they would say, I knew that God was with me. I was met with grace and love from my friends. They had the same compassion and respect that Ben had for me, and God gave them soft hearts to receive what I was telling them. I'm so grateful that God has surrounded me with those people. Fast forward to now. I am currently on a dating fast to truly let God do his work in me. I have gone through a workbook that gives real-life testimonies about people who have also struggled with purity and helps you start to process and heal. I've also had the opportunity to invite younger women on campus to uh, join me in that same healing process through genuine vulnerability and confession. I am not perfect, and I know I never will be. But what I do know is that Christ is in me and with me and he will use me for his kingdom. My only hope for my life is that I will continue to listen and obey as he asks of all of us. I give glory to God for creating me in his image and transforming me into the woman I am today. So what about you? You could listen to my story and be happy to hear about a college student being transformed by Jesus. But the reality is that these principles, cycle of sin, uh, confession and repentance, they're all needed from each one of us, and no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have a secret cycle of sin, I encourage you not to leave before you pull aside an elder or a pastor to confess that sin so that you too can be free like I am. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Noelle, for sharing your testimony. Noelle can stand before you, complete strangers to her, and reveal a deep sin of a not-so-distant past, not because she's a superhero. Noelle can tell her testimony because she has met the Jesus who throws no stones. And she's met a community of God who will walk with her in her restoration. This is practical grace in the work of a soul, and it's the spirit of James 5.16, and I'll read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So, you might be like me this morning and you're wondering the title written on the top of my bulletin says, Sin Not. What are we to do when we're constantly falling so short? Well, first, we can go back to Jesus' words to the woman in the passage this morning. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go on your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Jesus offers freedom from condemnation, and he invites us to go and sin no more. But what in the world does that actually look like? Well, we can go back and and look over what Noelle did in her testimony. And this is where, for those of you who like to write things on your notes, you get to fill in some blanks. First, she took account of her sin. Second, she confessed her sin. Third, she repented and started healing. And fourth, she was perfect and never made any more mistakes ever again. (laughs) I'm messing with you guys. Fourth is she began to live in freedom. So as we've been unpacking the story of this woman in John chapter 8 and Noelle's story as well, what has been coming up for you? Take account of what God might be speaking to you this morning. You may have something that you've kept secret for a long time, or you might have a sin that's been a lifelong struggle, like that of pride or idolatry of money. We have to acknowledge how God is speaking to us. Then we simply confess it. In the spirit of James 5.16, we don't only confess to our God, but we confess to our God in the company of others because confession is the doorway to restoration. It's both terrifying and it's freeing to finally bring it out in the open for God to begin his work in us. And let me tell you, most of us get stuck on confession. We can take account of our sin and feel strongly about it, and if we accidentally confess it, We might as well repent and begin healing, but we get stuck on the act of confession. And why is that? We don't confess because we like to save our reputations and because we're afraid that someone in the church or Jesus himself will be the first to throw a stone. Don't be afraid. The Jesus who can restore Noel from her sin is the same Jesus that can restore you from yours. Confession is the doorway to restoration. And some of us need to walk through that door this morning. After we confess, we simply repent and start healing. For Noelle, she had to commit to the healing process. So she surrounded herself with wise counsel, with accountability, with resources to help, and she even started a dating fast for a season. Real healing requires real wisdom. And for some of us, talking to a pastor or to an elder or even to a counselor might be a good step. We need godly wisdom to walk alongside us so that we can thrive. And lastly, our invitation is one of freedom. For this woman and for Noel, the light at the end of the tunnel is not condemnation or shame. It's freedom. This is true for you if you're a first-time visitor of this church or a member or an elder or even a pastor. We all need Jesus to either start or continue his work in our hearts. To be healing from the real effects of our sin doesn't mean that we never sin again. It means that we're free to live our lives and walk humbly with our God. You no longer have to sit in shame or guilt or suffer the consequences of your unchecked actions. So let me ask you, church, do you want to be free in your life? Do you have a chain long overdue of being broken by Jesus this morning? Now is the time. Take your sins again and again to the God ready to spare you condemnation and willing to offer you grace. Again and again and again. And if you mess up, ask forgiveness again. Becoming a Christian isn't simply praying a prayer and then suppressing any mention of our brokenness until we're cleaned up in heaven. It's an invitation for God to rewire us from the inside out into a new creation that will, over time, begin to look more and more like him. And what begins to form is what Dustin spoke of two weeks ago when he started our series. It's a transforming and renewing of our minds. So don't miss out on an opportunity if God is speaking to you this morning. Real healing is going to require more than silent acknowledgement. Go through that tough process. Take account. Confess. Repent and begin healing. And by the way, repent means simply turn away and then begin to walk in freedom. So I I urge you, don't leave this morning without talking to someone if you have some business to do. So church, I'm going to wrap us up this morning with two things. First, I want to give an invitation for those of you who are here this morning and you've either never made a decision to follow Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins, Or maybe you're realizing that you want to follow him and you were following him, but you've been away from God for a really long time. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a first-time or recommitment decision to follow Jesus. And second, there's a group of you who I'm going to invite to a call to repentance. Some of you are realizing that God has a specific word for you this morning, and I want to invite you to take a simple first step so that I can pray for you. And in a minute, I'll invite you to indicate uh, that God is speaking to you and that you want to start a journey towards freedom. So I'm going to invite us to bow our heads, and I'm going to address these both groups, and I'm going to pray for both of you. Bow your heads with me. For those of you in the first group, the Bible teaches that while the world was made for harmony, we separated ourselves from God by choosing to sin. God desires a reconciled relationship with you, and he sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect life and to die. And in his death, he took all of our sin and our brokenness with him on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and the hope we have to be made whole again with God is found in the power of his resurrection. Our salvation is offered to us in the form of a gift called grace. We can ask Jesus forgiveness of our sins and begin to follow his direction for our life. There's nothing we can do that can earn it, but it's immediate and it's a gift to us. So with our heads bowed, if you haven't made a decision to respond to this good news of Jesus and to follow him, or you realize that you've been away from God for a long time and you want to recommit to him this morning, I want to invite you with everyone's heads bowed to raise your hand high to signify that you want to decide to follow Jesus from here on out. So if that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand high. Amen. Does anyone else? I invite you to raise your hand. For those of you with your hands raised, keep them up. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Anybody else? All right, keep your hands raised. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this man and these women are raising their hands, and they want to be made whole with you. They need your salvation. They need your gift of grace. They're like me. They're imperfect. God, I pray that you would come and forgive them of your sins, just as your scripture promises, that you're faithful and just to cleanse them of their unrighteousness, and that you love them and you want to adopt them into your family. So they can be your child, your son, your daughter. For those of you with with your hands raised, I'm going to invite you to to repeat a simple prayer with me uh, in your heart. You can pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you came to live a perfect life and die in place of my sins. And I believe that your resurrection gives me the power and the hope for eternal life. Forgive me of my sins and teach me to follow you for all my days. I receive your spirit. Amen. For those of you that raised your hand for that, uh, there is a box for you to check. Uh, on, your, on your response card that says, I made a, a commitment to follow Jesus today. I encourage you to check that so that we can follow up with you and help process that decision. So one more group. You might be realizing that God has a specific word for you regarding an area of sin in your life. If you want to start the process of taking account of your sin, confessing it, repenting and healing and living in freedom, I invite you shamelessly to raise your hand with everyone's head bowed to say, That's me. I got some work to do. Amen. Amen. Doesn't mean that you have all the answers yet, but it means that you want to start this journey. There's no shame in raising your hand. It, it, honestly, it, there's honor in being real to admit that we need Jesus. I'm going to give us a last chance. Is there anyone else to raise your hand to say, God has had a word for me this morning. Amen. Uh, for those of you with your hands raised, um, if you feel comfortable, I invite you to put your hands out like this as an opportunity to say, I receive this prayer. Just a simple way of posturing our bodies toward God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for using these words and this story and this testimony to speak to us. And God, I ask that each one, each woman and each man with their hands out would receive your forgiveness, receive your lack of condemnation, receive your love. And God, I pray that they would do the hard work, not just to acknowledge by raising their hand and putting their hands out, but do the hard work by actually confessing to someone this morning to say, this is what's going on, it ain't pretty, and to be able to start this healing process. So Father, I pray that you would give them continued courage and that you would show them that what you have for them is love. What you have for them is grace and mercy, and you want to restore them just as you're restoring Noel today. So God, let it be so. Amen.